Good morning, friends. Today I bring you greetings from Dr. Harry Went and the staff at Crossways International. And because of his lingering health problems, Dr. Went sent me to Messiah Lutheran Church in Malden, South Carolina as his replacement. Yesterday I led a day-long workshop on Seeds of the Scriptures. We enjoyed our time with about 80 of the good people from um, Messiah. Our message that I will be delivering today is simply titled, Our Mission is to... Well, you fill in the blanks. It comes from uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 23. The story is <clears throat> very familiar. Jesus is uh, walking <coughs> along the Sea of Galilee, and he called out to Peter and Andrew, Follow me. They left their boats and began to follow him. Now, there's no reason to think that this was the first time they'd seen or heard Jesus. According to verse 17 of our text, he'd already been preaching in the area, and no doubt they'd heard him speak. But when Jesus said to Peter and Andrew, follow me, this was their moment of decision. It was their chance to make a transition from being mere listeners in the crowd to being committed disciples. When Jesus called them, he called them to a vision of what their lives could be, lives of purpose. In verse 19, it says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus also calls us all to a life of purpose, a life of accomplishment, a life of vision. We're not to simply drift from day to day. He wants us to live with a sense of mission, a sense of determination to accomplish something of lasting value. This story reminds us of what that vision is, and we'll look at three elements of our mission. These three elements apply to the church and to the individual. If we'll keep them fresh in our minds, we avoid the travesty of becoming a life-saving station that no longer saves lives. Well, first of all, our mission is to change lives. Your ministry, the ministry of your church, of all churches, is about changing lives. It's not about buildings or accumulating money or earning accolades. Like I said, it's all about changing lives. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And he's saying, instead of doing something temporary, I can show you how to live a life that will have impact for all eternity. We all have a thin need to lives of significance. And when we do the Lord's work, the need is met. Because our mission is all about changing lives. It's just this simple. If we're not involved in work that promotes positive change in the lives of other people, we're not doing ministry. So we need to ask ourselves, are we reaching people for Jesus? Are we helping people grow in their Christian life? Are we empowering people to become better parents, better spouses, better employees, better friends, better sons and daughters, better neighbors, and on and on? Our mission is to help change lives by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Primarily, that involves leading people to a life-changing connection with Jesus, the Christ. That's what it means to be fishers of men. Never lose sight of the fact that our mission is to change lives. But second, our mission is to heal the hurting. <clears throat> In verses 23 and 24, Jesus went throughout Galilee, healing every disease and sickness. People brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he heals them. That's what our text says. See, people with every kind of affliction came, and Jesus healed them. And in the gospel, in the book of Acts, his disciples continued his healing ministry. And guess what? God still heals today, and we are to continue that ministry. Now, we all know examples of people who prayed to be healed but weren't, just as we know of farmers who prayed for rain and didn't get rain, or teams who prayed to win but lost anyway. But just because some prayers weren't answered the way we think they should have been answered doesn't mean that God has stopped intervening in our lives. 
Some Christians believe that God no longer heals people today. They say he used to be willing to heal people, but not anymore. I just don't know where they get that idea. I've read arguments to support this notion, and frankly, the arguments don't hold any water. You see, friends, God isn't less powerful than he was 2,000 years ago, and he isn't less compassionate than he was 2,000 years ago. Neither does the Bible teach that God ever intends to stop intervening in our lives with his power and mercy. Our mission is to continue the work of Jesus to offer healing to those who hurt. And even without the flash and the hype of what we sometimes see on TV, we can pray for those who need healing, and the results are still nothing short of amazing. And even though it is exciting to hear about someone whose broken body was mended by the power of God, it's even more exciting to hear about someone whose broken life was mended by the power of God, because that's something no doctor can do on his own. I'm happy when I hear about someone who is healed of a sickness, but I'll be honest, I become ecstatic when I hear about a marriage brought back from the dead, or a broken family restored to unity, or a discouraged person who discovers joy and optimism and hope through the presence of God in their life. These are all great miracles, that's for sure. And we have all been called to do the ministry of Jesus, to heal the hurting. And while we pray for their physical healing, we're called to offer them comfort also during that affliction. If someone we know is fighting cancer or going through a divorce or facing unemployment, we are to pray for God to heal the situation and offer them encouragement and comfort and emotional support every step of the way. If someone close to you goes off the deep end and commits a foolish sin that wrecks their life, you are to pray that God will restore them and help them pick up the pieces, and you are to offer them encouragement and support every step of the way. There are people in this community, in your community, who are hurting. Maybe they brought it upon themselves. Maybe they didn't. Either way, our mission is to do what we can to help them find wholeness and experience the fullness of God in their lives. When we stop caring about those people who hurt, we cease to be a life-saving station. We become nothing more than a social club. So once again, our mission is to change lives and to heal the hurting. And third, our mission is to teach the word of God. Verse 23, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. Now, while there was an emphasis in Jesus' ministry on healing, there was even more of an emphasis on teaching. Whenever a crowd gathered around him, around him he taught them. In the chapter that follows this text, you're going to see the core of his teaching. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It deals with tough issues, teachings that show us how to live in a real world. Our mission is to teach the Word of God, not just from the pulpit, but in our personal Bible studies, Sunday school classes, youth ministry meetings, singles groups, men's prayer breakfasts, women's ministries, and on and on. We teach the Bible because the Bible teaches us how to live. We teach the Bible because it compels us to address some issues that we might be tempted to sidestep. As my good friend Dr. Harry Wend has told me and so many others, when you work the word, the word works you. I have to tell you that in my work also as a church consultant, I actually had a pastor tell me that he doesn't preach from certain passages or on certain topics because, as he said, well, they just stir up confusion. But, friends, hear me, and hear me well. He's missing the point. The reason we teach the word of God is to eliminate confusion. And certainly there are some passages that can be interpreted in different ways, but when we teach these passages faithfully and are honest about our struggles to understand them, one of the byproducts is that we lose some of our arrogance. We stop acting like we know everything there is to know. When we teach the Bible, we're sometimes forced to confront the sin in our own lives 
the spiritual apathy, the lack of faith in our own lives, and the lack of vision in our own lives, and on and on. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The church that doesn't take seriously its commitment to the word of God runs the risk of becoming obsolete and becoming nothing more than a social club. The believer who doesn't make a determined effort to learn and know and teach the word of God runs the risk of becoming ineffective in their discipleship life. Friends, if you want to change lives, you do it by knowing and teaching the word of God. If you want to heal hurts, you do it by knowing and teaching the word of God. Matthew says that Jesus went about teaching and preaching the good news. So let's never forget that our message is good news. It's a message of hope, a message of forgiveness, a message of reconciliation, a message of mercy. Our message is that God loves you and that Jesus came to help you live life to the fullest, to give you peace and joy and meaning. His love is so powerful that nothing, nothing in the world can separate us from it. And that is good news. That is the message that drives us toward fulfilling our mission, our vision in life. We can't allow ourselves to lose sight of the ministry to which we've been called as a church and as individuals. It's about people, helping them change, healing their hurts, teaching them truth. And we don't do this for our glory, but for their good. We do it to extend the name of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. It's the essential part of our mission, and we do it in the name and in the power of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Until next friend time, friends, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.